When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Why now, a little bit later than usual, uh, it's time for the traditional Arse Blog Season Preview Podcast. Uh, my guest, as we do every year, is Ken Early from Second Captains. Hi, Ken. Andrew, how are you? I'm all right. So I was just saying to you, this is the first time I've been in, uh, been in my studio in the city center since March, since lockdown. And we are, I, you know, we have to point out we're very well socially distanced in, in here. Yeah, I, I um, completely drenched myself in uh, highly... Uh, liquidy hand sanitizer. <laughs> I'm covered in this sort of uh, alcohol, um, like amniotic fluid, that sort of thing. <laughs> so uh, I think it's probably pretty virus free. Yeah, we're doing okay. Well, we'll touch Surface wood on that. Virus free, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, how have you been getting on in this weird period of life that we're living in? You guys are still doing all the, all the podcasts, all the stuff, uh, yeah. but it's, it's different now. Yeah, it's although you get you get used to it like pretty quickly, right? Yeah, I mean, are you completely used to this now? I, I think I think I was kind of really used to lockdown, and then the sort of facsimile of what normal life is yeah. now is a little bit weird. Like, can you do this? No, mm. or you can only do this if you eat a nine euro meal. Yeah, that kind of stuff is a little bit weird. Yeah, um, like I'd hate to be. I don't want to sound like an old guy, but I'd hate to be a young person right now. Um, From the point of view that, like, you know, a social life is kind of more important when you're young and going out and going to bars and going to clubs and, you know, just meeting people is generally more important when you're younger. I think, I think we can cope because we just sit home and drink wine. I think they're probably finding ways to... to um, sure they are, but... I mean, yeah. Uh, do, do you get do you get the feeling that there's a, an enormous reverence among the young people, <laughs> a, a, tr- a tr- attitude of solemnity about the rules? You know, we must uh, we must obey these rules. Yeah, don't really, you know. I think people, a lot of young people, look at the age profile and they're like, well, do I really need to worry about this? Where are they doing it though? Are these like underground, like speakeasy night, nightclubs for young people? Who knows? Now, not in the not in the same hotel room as the rest of the team. Anyway, not in the same hotel floor <laughs> as the rest of the team. So, so what was it like? Um, what did it feel like to you when football just stopped? Um, well, at the time, it was like uh, okay. It was. It, 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 it sort of at the time. I remember it was like this should have. Why, why isn't this already stopped? You mm. know, it was it was kind of uh, the last game was that Liverpool Atletico game, right? That was the one of them, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it was like, why are they even playing this now? There, there was this kind of weird 
uh, paralyzed in in action by the Mm. British government. Okay, they were, you know, they were still playing. I mean, that was a UEFA game, obviously. So UEFA is still, but you know, I remember PSG played Dortmund. Um, in that round and, mm. and it was behind closed doors you know they all went out remember they, the fans yeah, were all yeah, outside yeah. the stadium yeah. you know? but at least there was some there were, you know in Italy they've been playing behind closed doors for a couple of weeks um, I forget if that had happened in Spain I think so I yeah, think it was, yeah, it was yeah. behind closed doors in Spain as well so I was kind of like what are you doing like it's, you know that that was kind of my main preoccupation at that time was it, there doesn't really seem to yet be a, a, a recognition here that this is going to be a big problem but, you know, certainly in the, in the UK, I remember that was the whole Cheltenham stuff was happening, you know, mm. that sort of around that time as well. Um, and then when it stopped, it was like, well, of course it stopped. And you're kind of just mesmerized by this massive, like, unfolding planetary train wreck, mm. you know? Uh, so I wasn't really thinking about it for a long time. Um, it was kind of like, yeah, it, like it, it suddenly being stripped out of your routine was was scarcely noticeable given that like your entire routine had simply been cancelled. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, um, yeah, and and <laughs> and, and did, you know, for the first few weeks, did did you miss it at all? I mean, I don't know. I mean, at that time I was really following like obsessively all the kind of news about it. You know, oh my God, what's going to happen? You know, how's this going to play out? Um, which has probably changed now. You know, you're kind of like, oh. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I think there is a certain like the, the sort of numbers say that they're announcing on the on the Irish news now every day. Which you know, if that had been like in March, in March it would have been yeah. a terror. It would have been, oh my god, what you know? And I was like, yeah. oh yeah, whatever. You know, three hundred, five hundred cases. You know, who cares? And it's like you know, it's the same. <laughs> it's the same number. I don't know, uh, but but uh, you know, you get used to um, yeah. You get used to anything. Did it come back quicker than you thought it might because of the the height of it or when it locked down and all the stories were going around and, and you know, we were trying to get to grips with what exactly this thing was? It really felt like we might not see football for ages and ages. Yeah. And then, you know, they were putting plans in place, the Project Restart thing. It came back in, in uh, June um, mm-hmm. There was talk about it from from May that it was basically going to happen back then as well. So it, it felt to me anyway that it came back um, more quickly than I thought it was going to. Well, it was mainly in Germany, you know, it was because of yeah. because of the German football returning. Then it was like once they were doing it, it was like, well, oh, clearly it can be done. You know, they haven't had any disasters there, and once you've got the example. Uh, you know, then then it's like everyone just sort of piles in afterwards. You know, I mean, I remember the time it was a bit it was a bit fraught. Like, there's a lot of kind of questions about whether this was a an appropriate thing to do. Like, you know, if you're if you're thinking in terms of like the context of like uh, as it then was, you know, many hundreds of people dying per day. Uh, you know, and this general uh, this 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 massive problem that everybody was sort of facing collectively then suddenly it's like oh you, by the way our you know football players are going to play football now so yeah you know whether that was appropriate that was kind of one of the strands of it and then there was like is this kind of a crazy thing to do from a safety point of view you know are you putting them are you putting the players at risk you don't really understand this disease you don't understand what it is you don't understand what it does you think everyone's fine but you don't know that Mm. You know, you think like these tw- guys in their 20s will get this or, or, you know, even if they do get it, it's not going to affect them. But you don't know that. Mm. You don't even really know what kind of what what is the disease. No one has really defined it at that, at that point anyway. Um, so how can you then play with those sorts of risks? And the answer is 
well, otherwise we don't get paid. So, you know, let's let's do it because we all want to get paid and we're all going to take the risk. Yeah. You know, people have been taking risks for money for a long time sure. in, in, uh, in various different fields. You know, long before there was uh, football pitches in the northeast of England, there was coal mines. It was pretty dangerous. Um, <laughs> it was really, it was unspeakably horrific uh, and dangerous, but they did it because they wanted to get paid and Needed for the same reason to get paid I suppose as well I mean yeah, yeah. I mean how much um, you know the idea that, that football uh, as it was sold or the return of football was going to be a sort of boost to the nation oh, the, the spirits just, of the nation and all that kind of stuff but, but clearly the pressures uh, that have been applied to um, I, I wonder how far up the top it starts because obviously the, Euro- the European Championships were a factor in UEFA and these governing bodies but then there's the Premier League there's the broadcasters there's the clubs themselves there's the owners of the clubs you know the financial impacts that, that they're going to experience which we'll talk about now maybe in a minute but but just in terms of, of making it happen um, you know was it a, a sort of a pressure that was um, premature maybe or was it you know has it turned out to be kind of the right decision given that until the players have ended the season and gone off on their holidays most of them have remained free of COVID um, yeah uh, well I mean yeah I, I guess so like it turned out that it was technically feasible to do you know uh, without it causing you know mass outbreaks of disease mm. Um and okay, we ha- you have to see how long that can because because I imagine at the beginning it's like when you introduce any kind of complex set of rules in the beginning everyone observes them very carefully and then after a while it's like oh well nothing ever goes wrong so yeah you know, we'll fuck the rules and then you you get things like what happened with the England players either you know what I mean yeah like, this kind of thing I'm sure is going to go on the whole time and like there will probably be I mean we, we are all just because we've sort of got used to this situation which I keep saying um, it's you know like there could be like another train wreck you know they're, they're ahead of us this like I mean there's no guarantee this season is going like is this season going to proceed without like what happens if like your entire squad is like COVID positive you know I mean well look to, at what happened with the the Czech Republic they just played they just got they like just got a whole bunch of street. other players yeah I yeah. mean there's always enough there's always going to be players I suppose mm. I mean it, <laughs> it didn't happen and there was an incident in Russian football recently wasn't there where like the yeah, I remember something from last season. I don't think it had anything. I'm not sure it had anything to do with coronavirus. I think it was before then. But like basically, uh, where like the Rostov under 16s or something had to play like a Russian Premier League game and like lost eight nil to Zenit or something. <laughs> and it was one. Of, it was one of those real like Michael Owen, you know, Michael Owen Neville Southall type of situations. Yeah, well done, laddies. Thirteen. Z- <laughs> like the the goalkeeper was crying and all this kind of stuff. So maybe that could also that could be that could be something that happens this season. I suppose you know you know you'll always find eleven able bodied players. Mm. You know, it could, there is an argument that could make a bit of a nonsense of the competition. You know, would it be worth an asterisk? Would you have to put an asterisk next to next to the title winner? You know, if if you'd had a Premier League in which like a lot of the games were played by under sixteen teams, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, they must have some contingencies in place if if that happens. I mean, I'm not quite sure um, 
having read as much as I can, I'm not quite sure what the, the cutoff point is, like how many players within a squad have to be tested positive before your entire squad. And by extension, the coaching staff and the technical staff and the managerial staff and all of those people have to quarantine or self-isolate. I mean, there's this thing that the, the government um, have put in place. If you're an elite sports organization, you get a letter, which is why the players can go away on international duty. Mm. They're supposedly in these these bubbles. Yeah, but not the, not the journalists. The Irish, Irish journalists weren't able to go to Bulgaria. Shame. Um, well, you could go, but the problem was that you, if you went to Bulgaria, then you would have to quarantine when you came home for two weeks. Right. You couldn't just turn up at the Finland game three days later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it would have been considered a breach of etiquette. May not be the worst thing, considering the way that game went. Yeah. Yeah. What what struck you most about what football was like when it came back after the games got back underway? I mean, obviously the, kneeling. the which kneeling, the kneeling, you know, like mm. the Black Lives Matter logos on the shirts, all of that element to it was, I mean, obviously a completely new, um, uh, completely something which had never happened before in the Premier League. You know, organized political demonstrations for a cause which by the way is not exactly a mainstream or popular cause in the UK you know given what <laughs> given, <laughs> given what's been happening in the UK recently I mean most of the media I guess are probably against it um, you know you, you quickly had like those stories about like oh well the Black Lives Matter Twitter feed has been saying the following things about you know or you know the, what, what do they mean get rid of the police and what's all this all about you know all this kind mm. of Thought, I mean that was a that was a big um, it's a big change for the league you know I mean you see what's been happening in the United States now where they're a couple of steps ahead in this process um, most recently NBA players um, and uh, baseball players and women's NBA players uh, I think all um, refusing to play. Uh, refusing to play games and in fact some of the teams in the involved in the playoffs saying they didn't want to complete they didn't they they mm. just wanted to finish the season like lebron james was saying we let's not finish the season this is bullshit we have to do we have to do something better we've we've been waiting long enough for something to change it never does so fuck the season let's let's uh boycott the rest of it or let's go on strike or whatever term they were using and barack obama talked them back into doing it making the argument that Apparently he made the argument. I, mean, I haven't heard the type of what Obama had to say to like LeBron or whatever. But like that, um, you know, you can you can achieve more by sort of working within the system to change Work it. Work with it then rather than against <laughs> it. Yeah, <laughs> which, is, yeah. which is obviously kind of a... Has, you're not surprised that Barack Obama looks at things that way. Um, but so so they're ended, they, they ended up doing it. But like I do wonder... If actually Obama might be right about that, on the basis that, like, what you know, what what would the what would the actual response be of the NBA owners, for instance, if players were to were to get into the habit of going on strike or or having games being stopped? Now, there's no question, right? That in the short term, a player can do more for the cause that they're trying to bring attention to by not playing the game mm. than by playing the game and then complaining about it afterwards saying by the way you know I think you know we played the game and now I think it's a disgrace that you know the police are still doing this there's no question that if you don't 
that if you say I'm not playing at all, the game isn't going to happen. And everyone's like, oh, wh- where's the game? Wh- what do you mean? Why? What do you mean the game's not on? Why is it not on? There's no question which of those has got more cut through. The question would be, how many times can you do that? You know, how many times can you do that before the owners Kaepernick you? You know, or they, they yeah. say, you know, it's like we wouldn't play a, we have a player who is COVID positive, you know, isn't allowed to mix with his teammates and play the games. And uh, we've, you know, certain players seem to be positive for politics. And uh, they also <laughs> they also need to be excluded, you know, and we can and, and you know, if, if we've got too many uh, P positive uh, players and then, you know, we there are others. There are plenty of players who will who will be delighted to play in the NBA as long as the condition of it is you've got to keep your mouth shut and play the games. You know what I mean? Like that. Yeah. I think that's maybe where that's you know that's like like the fact is that Ka- Ka- Kaepernick is is a demonstration of this. It's like a demo. Like I mean, if everybody did it, then what would happen? But it's not everybody. There's always going to be people who are like. Uh, I'll play. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And then, like, if if maybe the be- maybe the best players like LeBron James is sitting it out, like, but like the game is still happening, and you know, I mean, do, do you think in some ways that players, Premier League players, um, because of their support for Black Lives Matter and because they were part of the discussion to make something happen, and they were part of, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? The sort of initiatives to help fund NHS and NHS charities. I mean, is it a case that players are more socially aware and are now more prepared to put that out there? Or was it a question of, well, you know, this is what's going on right now. We need to be seen to do something. Uh, and in terms of the Premier League support for those things, you know, they've they've been very careful to distance themselves from any kind of politics in the past yeah i mean they have but they but they've never uh had to had to sort of deal with a situation like this uh, i mean they're still kind of claiming that this doesn't have anything to do with politics and they're like oh it's just sort of human rights as though human rights was a thing that was kind of above politics and didn't, or didn't have anything to do with it um it's like you know they're, they're trying to sort of Boil recategorize down. it in a way. Yeah, but like, you know, the, like boil it down to, to sort of the, 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 the kind of most anodyne statement of like, well, humans are all equal and, you know, everybody is good. You know, I mean, stuff that nobody could disagree with or whatever. Um, but like, you know, what, what's, what Black Lives Matter is, it's like a, it's not just a case, it's not just like a sort of a Benetton philosophy of like, you know, human equality. It's like a, it's a critique of, of the whole system of, you know, well, I guess it's starting in America, but it's like a, it's like a, a critique of the entire sort of capitalist system of, of existence. Yeah. You know, it's not like, it doesn't just sort of stop like with, with it's that, like not the Lance Armstrong fucking wristband type thing. Yeah. And, and I mean that, you know, that's, that's obviously where the Premier League then started getting nervous. Oh my God. Like we're, you know, what are we getting involved with? We, we don't know, you know, we're not sure about this. I mean, we, we value the police. Uh, <laughs> we don't, we don't think they should be abolished <laughs> or, you know, whatever, you know, we've got great friends in the Israeli uh, settlements, <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> whatever mm. this is like uh, so you see what rugby was doing like rug- rugby rugby also like I mean I mean the, the the professional the premiership or whatever in, in England was like we also wish to um, you know because obviously the players didn't rugby players didn't want to be like 
the only athletes who didn't sort of make a you know register their protests and their sure. grief um but they didn't do it by by sort of endorsing Black Lives Matter. They kind of created their own like astroturf uh, anti-racism movement. Like I think rugby against racism. I think rah rugby against racism, <laughs> which was like where they could just sort of say we are we too stand against racism without sort of getting involved in any like more thoroughgoing critique of the you know capitalist system under whose iron heel we all ride. Yeah, you know, so, uh, but so, yeah, that was obviously a big change. And then you've got this other weird thing which is happening with the um, with the Chinese contract being pulled. You know what? Like, what the fuck is going? To, you know, this is this was like a six hundred million dollar contracts nearly mm. for three years. You know, it's like a decent amount of money. It's like it's worth, I think, like eight million pounds a year per team. Yeah, like because yeah, the the foreign rights are equally distributed. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, which is which maybe doesn't sound like much, but if you think about it, you know, if you've been if you're reading like uh, Swiss Rambles threads about how, you know, he he's able to sort of look at the same information that's publicly available and understand better than anyone else <laughs> why, you know, why Liverpool haven't spent a penny or like what's going on here, you know, yeah. just well if you look at it, actually they don't have any money. So, uh, but you know, eight million a year maybe doesn't sound like a lot of money in a football context, but actually it's like you know it's like a forty million pound signing. You know, it's like it's like the cost of forty million pound signing over over, over, the, the, yeah. over the term of a five year contract. You know, it's like. You have to think about impacts like that. Okay, will there be a replacement contract for China? I don't know. Maybe in China they've noticed the way that in Saudi Arabia nobody has to pay for the Premier League. You know what I mean? They just watch this B out Q. Uh, So is there really any need for us to be paying you guys hundreds of millions of dollars? You know, uh, we we all saw what you did to Huawei. None of us liked it over here. You know, we don't like some of the way that you still seem to think that you can influence what happens in Hong Kong. I mean, there's all of these like crazy sort of influences coming to bear on this. Like the it it, it sort of shows how uh, that the, the Premier League is like a major part of Britain's sort of relations to the rest of the world. It's like their biggest export. You could you could argue this. Um, it's their biggest cultural export, certainly, mm. and so it's a, it's a sort of a prestige. Thing. It's like a flagship export, and the Chinese. Uh, well, I mean, uh, the Premier League pulled the contract, but they pulled the contract because the, the company in China was like, "We're not going to pay you." So, yeah. what are you going to do about that? Uh, you know, how, how long are you going <laughs> to? Yeah. how about we just don't pay you for that? Um, so, I mean, we've spoken about it before. I think you know the idea of the the, the bubble in which the Premier League exists, the financial bubble. Uh, that was ever, ever expanding. And, you know, everybody has said that there's only one thing that will happen to a bubble eventually. Hmm. Uh, it showed no sign really of slowing down, but now perhaps it might well do. And the, the financial impact on the Premier League, on the clubs, on the way they might operate, you know, some of them, you look at what they're doing this this uh, this summer and you, it's hard to understand um, if they've been Im- impacted at all financially. Well, Some of the numbers that are going, well, I mean, Chelsea, Chelsea obviously, Man Newcastle. City to a certain extent. Um, you know, even even Aston Villa, you know, bidding this week £28 million for Ollie Watkins from Brentford and another £20 million uh, bid for Amy Martinez from Arsenal. I mean, it shows you that, you know, if there are players out there that clubs want, there's still money kind of splashing around for certain, but for certain clubs for certain clubs you wouldn't necessarily put Villa as one of those clubs and you mentioned Liverpool you know well, Villa not owned by extremely rich Egyptian 
I couldn't tell you who owns anyone now. They were were they they were they sold by the Chinese owner to a new Egyptian owner? I think. I, I think so. Okay, I believe you. Uh, so, any one of the the lessons of of um, the recent Swiss Ramble uh, threads, or one of the points that he's made a couple of times, uh, in my interpretation anyway, is that there's a difference between having a profit in your accounts and having money in your bank account. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, so. Um, you know, you could be a highly profitable club, but not necessarily have a ton of cash uh, available to spend now today on uh, players. Um, you also, if if you're like most of the clubs um, who don't have, you know, a sort of sugar daddy owner um, who are expected to kind of, you know, fund themselves or whatever. If you're like most of these clubs, then you currently have no ability to really plan what's going to be happening over the next while you can't really say with any certainty what your income is going to be yeah you don't know when you're going to have fans back in games or you know that's obviously a huge revenue stream which has been hit you don't really know what's going to happen with the tv money i mean sure they're like well we think it's going to be okay but like chinese just pulled out and well we actually have no idea what's and they have to give some rebates don't they in two years time (laughs) you know so they, they, they were able to sort of kick that kick the can forward on that yeah. repayment but like that's obviously coming um, you know the the rights renegotiation I guess will be a little bit more fraught I mean the last one didn't really go that great for them you mm. know, the, the domestic rights I mean they, they kind of ended up roughly where they had been it came down slightly yeah. and it was like the, the strong growth in overseas markets such as China that propelled the, <laughs> the overall growth and now China is just like actually you know what like yeah. we're not paying you anymore so uh so nobody can really plan unless you're owned by Roman Abramovich and you don't need to plan because no matter what happens, at the end of the day, he'll always be able to pay the bills. Yeah. So that's why Chelsea are like, oh, this is actually a great moment for us to buy. Nobody else is going to be buying. You know, Timo Werner would have joined Liverpool. Um, they would have had to pay more money, I assume, for some of the other players that they've signed. Or there, there, there's the possibility of auctions. I mean, Manchester United as well got Donny van der Beek for... You know, uh, 40, 40, 35 million pounds or mm. you know, forty million euros, I guess. Um, that probably would have been more if. You know, I mean, Real Madrid tried to sign him a couple of times. I think the Atletic had that story, or they mm. they agreed twice to sign him. Then they're like, actually, you know, we don't have the money at the moment, but don't worry, Donny, we'll be back for you. And uh, in the end, it was only Man United were in for him. So forty million. Ajax apparently accepted the bid first time because they're like, well, okay, there's no one else is going to be in this. This offer we'll have to do. So that's kind of happening all over the place. If you're a club like Chelsea that has ready cash, you can make the accounts. You've got plenty. You've got years to make the accounts look right. I mean, it's a real opportunity for a cl- for a club like that, isn't it? That yeah. if you've got the spending power right now, that you can go out and it's not that it's easy for you to make the signings, but if they're much less difficult to do. Yeah. Everyone, everyone's frozen, so you can you can put together a team. You would have had to compete maybe for these players, but now you can for, you know, he, he, he can put together the nucleus of a team for the next five years now. Like a, a, maybe put Chelsea back into the top two you know they've they've for the last couple of seasons been well mm. well outside this but like you know who's to say like next season Liverpool haven't bought anybody you know they've for a second year in a row more or less I mean they obviously signed Minamino they've made a couple of signs they've got a couple Could of left players but really you know it's like it's not it's not too different you'd have to say from Tottenham's situation when you know they're 
the, the 2018 when they famously didn't sign anybody mm. their stadium was kind of nearly finished and uh they just didn't have any money to sign anyone who was worth signing, in their opinion. So they didn't. And eventually, you just saw that team fall to pieces. You know, it's just neglect. Like, the, bit, the bits of the team wear out. And suddenly, it's like, oh, we haven't... We kind of haven't got any of the replacements coming through. Mm. You know, we haven't We haven't sort of... The, the damage wasn't evident immediately because they got to the Champions League final. But it was... But you could kind of see them beginning to fall apart in the second half of that season. And then, yeah. obviously, it just all collapsed uh, at the beginning of last season. So there is, like, the, you know, if you're Frank Lampard and you're um, you're sort of painted as this... Genius. Well, uh, yeah, that. But also, like, you, you're given a bit of a pass because you're still so young in the managerial game, relatively speaking, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Like, I feel like sometimes he gets a bit of a... A bit of a free pass mm. because of his, I guess, because of his status in England with the English media. You know, he was a very, very good player for England, or you know, one of England's best players for a long time. Um, but you know, if you go out and you spend that amount of money uh, on the caliber of players that they've brought in, it does, um, or it should anyway, put some pressure on you to produce. Um, Not like next season or the season after but now. now I would imagine so yeah and the one um, the one person that Lampard obviously has to worry about is somebody who unfortunately for Lampard doesn't read the English media doesn't pay attention <laughs> or you know has 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 people who who tell him if there's anything he needs to know that's been out in the English media but usually he doesn't need to know uh, and that is Abramovich who will sack him if he thinks he's not not doing it. He will. He says, I mean, he doesn't care about him. You know, he, he mm. he's not like he, he he didn't weep when Lampard. You know, had that shot off the bar against Germany, which crossed the line, and yeah, he didn't give a fuck. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he lent Lampard his yacht one time, maybe more, maybe more than once. I'm sure he whatever he's. He's been uh, pleased with some of his performances over the years, but I don't think he's like a very sentimental person. I don't think he's going to be. I don't think he is. He subscribes to the myth of Lampard's, you know, brilliant sort of generalship. Yeah, which I think you can see quite a lot of in the. If you read the English media, you might. If if you only followed uh, football by reading what was in English newspapers you would be like, oh, God, this Lampard guy just fascinates me. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what he looks like. I, I wonder what he, you know, I wonder, like, he's just, he just sounds so amazing. And, um, yeah, I, don't, I just don't think Abramovich is, is quite, yeah, I'm sure he likes Frank Lampard, but he'll, he'll sack him as well. He liked, you know, Carlo Ancelotti, I'm sure, and he sacked him. And he liked Josie, he sacked him twice. Yeah. Where do you see the the competition for the title this year? I mean, should Chelsea be contenders? Of course, yeah. Oh, yeah, completely. Yeah. Well, the Chelsea have got an insane like spending splurge. Like it's compa- it's almost comparable to what they did in two thousand and three. I mean, it's not quite, but like it's not far. No, that's off. yeah, that's true. Actually, like this is the biggest. This is the biggest one they've had since that sort of period. Mm. Since the very beginning of the kind of Abramovich period. Like it's a real. It's it's it's. It's a really interesting thing that's happened there. Like it's, you know, from a point where it seemed as though he was actually disengaging. Um, he, you know, he that, to to like this, you know, commitment committing again, you know, huge amounts of money. But the thing is, I guess it's it looks like a good opportunity at the moment. It's not like, you know, I don't think I think Ramovich had sort of got a, bit, a little bit tired of sort of competing with like Qatar. You know, he's like, well, I mean, 
you know. Yeah. I'm rich, but like, seriously, you know, I'm not going to be competing. Uh, you know, we can't sign, if they're going to fucking sign Neymar and Mbappe like in one summer, like what am I supposed to do? But or what's now, the point of it? Like? Whereas now it's kind of like, well, you know, no one seems to be really doing much. Um, strike while the iron is hot here. And, you know, this it's these players are cheap at the moment. You know what I mean? It's And if I am going to sell this club to, I don't know who at this point, like, I mean, who who's left that you can sell it to? But if, you know, if the idea is there of eventually sort of flipping the club and moving on he's possibly selling a club in a you know maybe everything that's spent now gets added on to the value of the club you know what I mean so it's it's like you can't lose <laughs> well I mean you can lose but uh, they definitely should be um, contenders no doubt because you've got teams who've been ahead of them but I mean a long way ahead of them but what are they, what have those teams done you know I mean mm. how, can Liverpool keep doing this you know, they've been they've been like insanely consistent for two years now. Two, yeah, yeah, two and a half, two and mm. a half years really. Um, can they just keep doing that? I mean, they they've also been in the situation where this great rhythm that they had has kind of been totally disrupted by you know a, a, basically a six month. Well, you know, they've obviously played a few games in recent weeks, but like it obviously bore no. You, you could see that their form in the when they came back yeah. bore no relation to what was happening uh, before um, you know well that, I mean they had the title yeah, pretty much yeah. wrapped up so again so, so it's like it's a long time since they've played with like the pressure of oh you know we've got to compete now from scratch you know you know what I mean yeah I um, mean you could see how last season um, the the I guess what you call the pain of losing out after having such an incredible season the season before mm. um, and to to amass the amount of points that they did and not win the title was ridiculous and obviously very um, painful and probably a real motivational factor. Yeah. Um, but, you know, defending titles is not easy. Yeah. You know, yeah. a lot of teams and Arsenal have been one of them down the years, not for long enough. But, you know, having won the title, it is really difficult to defend it the next year. Mm. And yeah. if you don't invest in the squad or if you can't invest in the squad, then it, you know, like you say, uh, using Tottenham as that example, things might just get a bit stale. There's an argument to be made for consistency, of course, and, and everybody coming in and, mm. and knowing each other. But at the same time, you know, freshness is important too. Yeah, I mean, they haven't had um, they haven't had really injury problems in in recent seasons. Um, but you look what they're doing now. Like, I mean, Ryan Brewster is obviously one of their one of their. Um, you know, is this guy going to turn out to be good? Lots of there was lots of players in this. Um, he was part of that England World Cup winning team. You know, with like guys like Foden and Hudson Odoi, I think was in that team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so kind of high hopes for this guy. They're now talking about, oh, maybe we'll sell him. Maybe we'll sell him with a buyback clause. You know, does anyone ever buy back the player that is sold with a buyback clause? By the way, I can't remember the last time I unless they're, rarely. Unless they're buying, didn't didn't did Real Madrid maybe do that with Morata? They're doing it because. Yeah, did, did Real Madrid buy was that Morata not a back? Weird two-year loan, or the like. The buyback clause was like at a weird. It was quite 
quite small, wasn't it? I think it was, it was. It was basically Real Madrid didn't want him, but they were perfectly happy to buy him back and then immediately sell him to Chelsea at a massive profit. It was mm. something along those lines. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was actually just a loan. I mean, I can't think of too many cases. I mean, I remember Oriel Romeu say going from from Barcelona to Chelsea with a buyback law and it's like oh you know we'll be back for this guy they were never back for that guy <laughs> yeah um, but like why why are they doing that you'd think at this point they wouldn't they would at least be like okay well we haven't really signed anybody this guy is you know has got potential we could have an injury you know mm. and you know we're gonna we're gonna need to replace some of these front players eventually. I mean it's been difficult for anyone at that club because it's like Mane from you know Salah playing all the time and never getting injured. But like it can't go on forever, you know. No. And yet they're talking about selling him. So you just have to conclude, okay, they're you know their financial problems are big. You know they don't re- they've they're at the they're at the 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 peak of their or they're they're at the furthest extent of their financial capability to hold together the squad that they've got. You yeah. know. And they don't really like look at what's look at this Tiago situation. Why is this dragging on? You know, you've got a situation where Vinaldum, who is one of their most reliable players, has not you know supposedly wanted by Barcelona, but you know nothing. Barcelona haven't sort of bid for him, and Liverpool haven't you know thinking about bringing Tiago in to replace him. Tiago, he's like a better player than Vinaldum, yeah. But unlike Vinaldum, has been injured since two thousand and fourteen. Um, you know, on a number of occasions, um, it's it's kind of like why, you know, it, you 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 just have to conclude the situation is is worse than they're letting on if they won't just do something decisive. Previously, that's been what they've been doing mm. in, in recent times. Is like, you know, we signed Fabinho, we signed Van Dijk, we signed Allison. You know, these uh, they've kind of gone and done it pretty quickly. Yeah. And this and now in this situation, they're sort of waiting and waiting and you know poker and brinksmanship and bollocks. Like the season actually starts on Saturday, and sure, so it just doesn't make much sense. But I mean, is that not down to the the financial impact that COVID has had and yeah, the financial I mean, implications for for all? clubs that like as much as every fan wants their team to go out and be decisive in the transfer market market forces in themselves are going to dictate mm. how certain deals get done and if you're willing to wait maybe you get a better deal or maybe a player you want to sell you're just going to have to compromise and take less on but you can understand why clubs might be a little more reticent even if the first what four weeks four games of the season are going to be crazy because uh, squads uh, for this Saturday, I'd say if you can compare and contrast right across the Premier League, there's going to be a lot of movement, whether it's loans or sales or whatever it might be. It looks, uh, you know, I think a lot of squads and teams are going to, are going to look very different um, mm. when the window closes as opposed to, you know, right now when the window starts. I mean, this is in comparison to last, was in the last summer where everything had to be done basically before the season started we were actually recording here on on deadline day and just yeah. as we were finished recording arsenal signed david Don't louise yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i mean there's there's kind of the difference that like if that had been in place now probably there would have been more done but because you you have this extension of the window it just feels like it's going to play out yeah no, I mean it's it's hard to know really what's going on. I mean, I, I'm interested to see what Man City are going to do because so far I'm not really I'm not kind of blown away by their there was, there was obviously this whole Messi thing that was going on with them. Mm. They thought we're going to sign Messi. He's told us he's coming on a free. This is this is exciting, you know. And 
evidently there's been quite a lot of energy put into that at, at City you know it's like um, <laughs> welcome messy billboards yeah well you know I mean how, you know how do, just how how we're going to redesign the team to you know get the most out of Messi um, and all all of that that was kind of what, what Pep's been thinking about and then suddenly that doesn't happen that's a bit demoralising um, they've signed Nathan Ake and Ferran Torres mm. <sighs> like Okay, I mean both are are good players. Uh, although Ake is, I mean Ake is Ake is an okay player. You know he's he's not exactly a he's not an aerially dominant player at all. Um, but that's okay, I suppose, as long as you've got somebody with him who is and like I guess Laporte is that he's good on the ball. Um, but. Like, does he really? Do, do you think? Well, that's a sort of transformative signing for the defense. No, not really. I mean, no. it, maybe he's a bit less error prone than you know someone like Otamendi or, or maybe Stones. But like, is he? You know, like, maybe. Like, I mean, look, like, is he better than Stones? I mean, like, Stones. He probably is now for City anyway, because every time Stones plays for City, which is which is probably never going to happen again. Or you know, he's got Guardiola looking at him, and he knows that Guardiola is thinking, "I hate you." Stones, <laughs> you know he knows that he knows that he knows that it's it's gone. Like he can't, he, Guardiola doesn't rate him. He knows this. Like no matter what Guardiola says, we we all know. Mm. We, we've all seen the team's selection. We all we all we all know the, what the pattern of this has been. And for some reason, he's just consigned Stones to the to the bin mentally. Um, Ake is not yet in the bin, but I could easily see him going in there. Mm. You know what I mean? I, I don't sort of see him as like. Whoa, you know, like when they signed Laporte, even Laporte was like, this guy actually will could change things there. You know, mm. he's a different kind of guy from what they've got. Um, Ferrantor is similar again, like you know, really highly rated um, young player in Spain. But like City didn't lose the Premier League last season because they didn't have enough really good wingers. You know what I mean? Like mm. they, that Sané was injured all season, but they still had Sterling, Mares. Um, Bernardo, like, you know, is is he better than any of those? I really doubt it. So, like, what I mean, he he might be a good player for Man City. He could he could be a great player for them over the next few years. Who knows? But I don't see him as someone who immediately improves their team. Sure. I mean, if the focus was on Messi, and just yeah, I mean, I was just thinking about your defenders in the bin. That's a fucking big bin, isn't it? At Manchester oh. City with the amount of defenders who've, who've been in there down the years. It's just Pep. Like, you know, yeah. it's just, he, he just can't hide it. You know, when, he, when you're in the bin, you, you know you're in the bin. Everybody yeah. knows it. It's like, oh no. Uh-oh. Uh, he, he just... <laughs> His standards are just so high. It's so, so high, guys. <laughs> guys, so, get in the bin. Get so, in the bin. So, like, uh, I mean... Yeah. But, he's, but, I mean, if if the focus was on Messi, and that's now not going to happen... It's well within City's financial capabilities to go out and just cherry pluck, you know, at least a couple of really, really good players. Yeah. You know, from clubs who financially cannot, probably couldn't previously resist a, a City bid, but now absolutely cannot. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't know who, who it's going to be. Um, mm. You know, we have a, a better... I mean, they must, because if they were serious about signing Messi, and it appears that they were, at least on the basis that he would come as a free transfer. Yeah. Like, I mean, free transfer, and then you have to give him, like, half a billion pounds yeah. uh, over over the, the following years. So there's clearly money available. 
you know but mm. like the, there's not going to be as much money available like you know because signing Messi was about more than just Messi um, as you know oh he will really help to improve the team you know I'm, I'm excited about the possibilities of you know um, him sliding those passes through to Sterling you know it's, it wasn't really just about that it was mm. clearly more there's massive symbolic power to this we get we've taken Messi from Barcelona you know you know the yeah, yeah, <laughs> city yeah, yeah. Tyrannosaurus Rex you know it's like we're we are the kings now and so not, there's no other player who they can sign to make that same point really in the same way you know no. so uh, I don't yeah I mean I'm sure but I mean, you know, at, the, at the moment, though, you're looking at it going, well, there's one team that has strengthened massively, and all of the other teams are sort of treading water at the moment and waiting to see what's going to happen, mm. including City. Like, okay, City have spent a bit, but like, not, not, not like they haven't, they haven't done what Chelsea have done, not yet. So Chelsea are the one, the ones that have taken this huge leap forward, and they are the ones that I'm interested to see. You know, can they? Uh, is it? Because I can't help but notice they still haven't bought a goalkeeper and uh, or uh, defenders. Or well, they've bought Thiago Silva, you know, and it's like yeah, okay, yeah. Mm, he's thirty six, like in a couple of days. Um, that's you know, yeah. So uh, it's it's going to be really interesting. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com well, let's, um, let's talk about Arsenal a bit then. Um, what have you made of Mikel Arteta since he's come into the club and what he's done? Um, and... The way, um, you know, I think he's sort of set things back on track to a slightly more even keel based on where the club was when he came in after Unai Emery departed and things were probably at the lowest ebb for for over 20 years. Um, your sort of broad thoughts on Arteta and the job that he did between then and the end of the season. Well, he's managed to clear out a lot of his little... Uh corporate helpers pretty fast right he's managed to purge a lot of the boardroom crap uh, you know a great uh, uh, gush a great evacuating gush sweeping through the, the Arsenal <laughs> boardroom and sweeping away uh, Raul Sanlehi and uh, various other figures I mean like oh, most of the scouts like you can all go we don't really see what you're doing here yeah uh, Raul, you know, amazing, amazing uh, work he did for the club. 
uh, an amicable parting. Oh, I'm sure. Yes, absolutely. Yes, it's it's important to stress that everybody loves everybody, and there was nothing but a just the COVID. That's all it was. It yeah. Was but at the end of it, uh, Michael Arteta is there, maybe a little bit more un- unencumbered to shape the club according to his will. I mean, I like I I, I like Arteta much more than Emery. You know, with Emery, like he, he's a massive improvement on Emery, clearly, mm. and. You know, even just if even just in terms of presentation and communication, you know, I mean, you can listen to Arteta. Yeah, like you really couldn't listen to Emery. I don't mean to be you know to be mean to him, but it's just you literally couldn't listen to the man talk. It was too annoying. And you know, I mean, it was even if even if what he was saying was brilliant, which I don't think it really was. No. Um, it just after a while, you know, with everything that was going on at the club, there was some, there was a couple of things that happened as well. Stuff with Shaka, stuff with Ozil. It was just like this is this is a complete mess. Like obviously he had to go. So that's I mean it's ages since that happened. Um, Lundberg for a while, and then Arteta. And what did Arteta do? I mean, when he came in, there wasn't much of a change. I don't think in the first. I mean, they beat Manchester United in the league. Yeah. Um, they managed not to get knocked out of the cup. It was kind of in this. It was kind of in the return. But I mean, it's kind of weird. Like, because the the, fir- the first game back was against City, wasn't it? And they get destroyed by City again. It was like it was the yeah, David, David Louise getting yeah. sent off like an idiot, and and then they lost to Brighton, and that was the Guendouzi game when his last game when yeah. he made a complete. He's back in training today. You'll be glad to hear he's Is he? with the group again. Some. Fences have been mended, or you know, there's a situation where Genduzi realizes nobody's bidding for him, and Arsenal realized nobody's bidding for Genduzi. So yeah, yeah. let's just make the best of it, kind of thing. Well, you know, I mean, I don't see why not. Like, I mean, he, that, that was the problem was that he was behaving like a dickhead. I mean, he was doing the Craig Bellamy on it, mm. but without Bellamy's without Bellamy's delivery, so much of that sort of stuff is about the delivery, really. Um, you know, when Bellamy was telling opponents in the Scottish League that uh, you know he could, they could come and do his garden if they were, <laughs> that uh, sometimes they would even laugh just at the sheer uh, obnoxious uh, brio of the man. Yeah, Gandhi just didn't manage to really, to you know, it was Mope, I think. I don't know. They, yeah, he was just boasting about how much money he was making or something. It wasn't even that much. You know, oh, can't, can't be. You know. <laughs> it was like I, I earn you know forty thousand. It's like, like yeah. don't don't be stomping around in the pitch boasting around about your two million a year salary. Like you're nobody. Mm. <laughs> you're nobody on this pitch. Well, maybe not compared to a lot of the Brighton players, but like, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, it just seems like that was the kind of thing. Like, it, is it? What I mean is that it's this is a problem of his behavior and sort of temperament, which can be surely uh, fixed. Like, you know, he can learn not to behave in this way mm. rather than like a kind of some fundamental shortcoming as a football player. Because I don't I actually think he's pretty good. Like, I mean, I've always quite liked him as a player. Um, you know, I don't know, maybe a. Uh, maybe maybe Arteta just doesn't really fancy him. Obviously, he's going to get a, get a chance to play because you know. Who, again, look at what who have Arsenal actually signed? Gabriel, um, Willian, Willian, yeah, Willian, who's a good player. Um, they brought in uh, 
William Saliba, who's the young French defender who they bought last summer and then loaned back to Saint-Étienne. But no midfield. And Danny Ceballos has come back. Ceballos. But basically, the only, the only addition to the Arsenal midfield from the same group of players that finished eighth last season is Mohamed Elneny coming back mm. from... Besiktas, yeah. where he was on loan, so I don't think he's the, I don't think he's really the 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 difference maker, you know. Um, so it is. I mean, I think midfield is clearly the area that Arsenal need to to invest in between now and the end of the window, because up front there's there's mm. there's talent and there's Pepe, there's Lacazette, even if his future is a bit uncertain, Aubameyang, um, Martinelli, Saka. No one is going to buy Aubameyang. No, well, he signed. You know, my understanding is he signed a new contract. So So he was too expensive for, you know, at this point, it it would be a different situation than any other year. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. Uh, I think without without the, the pandemic... But where is Lacazette going to go? I don't know. I don't know who's going to buy Lacazette, to be honest. Yeah. Not for a price that Arsenal might consider more valuable than the money they get where? and the need to replace him. And he has to be paid more than he's getting paid at the moment, or at least he's got to be paid something like it. Yeah, I wonder, is that an adjustment the players are going to have to come to terms with? Is that, you know, well, each move... Have, they, have the Arsenal players not already come to that adjustment with Arsenal, with one mm. with one notable exception? Well, he says there are more exceptions, obviously. Didn't know as he'll say. Yeah, apparently there were three players who didn't take... Do we know who the other two are? No. 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 Just Ozil. He was the only one who got exposed. Yes. Uh, yeah. Harsh enough. Well, he's yeah, it is. It is. I mean, if, the, if you're going to you know uh, expose one, or if you're going to leak the information uh, about one, leak it about all of them. I'm surprised nobody else decided to leak that. Yeah. Um, obviously, there's no way of getting rid of Ozil. It's not reaching the point where they would just pay him off. I mean, mm-hmm. what, what, I don't really understand though, because Arteta was playing him before the lockdown, right? Mm-hmm. And then just afterwards, it was just so it was entirely to do with the pay with the pay thing. It was. I mean, the only thing that had happened was the was his him refusing to go with the rest of the team, and you know, as the top earning player in the team, that was kind of a big deal, I suppose. Arteta has gone out and said, "Listen, lads, we, we need you to do this for the club," and the mm-hmm. highest paid player in the team had said no. I mean, that was the reason why he he didn't play again, right? Well, he was on the bench for the first couple of games. After that, so he was included. So I don't know. I mean, that's, as ever, there are all kinds of angles on this. If you look at it from that point of view, it could make some sense. I feel like, um, based on some of the things that Arteta said, that you know, he wouldn't be dictated to by by that kind of thing. Like as he said, a player's wages are you know that's between them and the club. And well, I mean, why did he issue. get involved then? Why did he, why did Arteta get involved? If if the wages are between the players, mm-hmm. the players and the club, then. He got involved in this situation. He asked them, and once he'd asked them, if they were to say no, then it's a black eye for him, you know? And it's like, well, okay, you know. That, that, I mean, it, it's a thorny sort of situation because yeah. the idea of leaving someone out of the team for, for because they didn't agree to accept a pay cut that you're trying to impose on them isn't, <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not great. Uh, but I do think that it does appear as though that is what it, what it is, like. Maybe I it's don't. Not, know. It's not that he has a problem with Ozil because he used them before. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it rather it's not it's not because he's looking at Ozil going, yeah, you know, this guy, iron needle passing and all that. But realistically, his best days were in 2013, and it's 2020 now, and we've got to move on. That's not it because he was using them before. 
Yeah. Look, I don't, I don't know. I mean, there's so many strands to this thing um, mm. behind the scenes. You can put two and two together there and easily come up with four, of course. Yeah. Um, but I just feel like Arteta isn't the kind of guy who's going to cut his nose off to spite his face in that sense, that if he felt he could use Ozil to get results in games and if he highlights but a if lack you think of about creativity... It, imagine, imagine, he, imagine he starts playing the guy who refused to you know, take the cut or whatever and then everyone who did take it is like... What's going on here? Like, why did why did I? He gets paid more than me. Why am I? Why did I have to give up twelve and a half percent? You know, it's like it is a difficult situation. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's you know. Well, look, I mean, I was never really on board with that anyway. Mm. From the point of view that you know, this is a football club owned by one of America's richest men, and within uh-huh. literally three weeks of the shutdown or the lockdown, yeah. they're putting in place things like pay cuts. You know, um, and we saw last month, you know, they're making staff redundant and the players were told, you know, if you take pay cuts, staff aren't going to lose their jobs and now staff are losing their jobs. So, you know, from on high, I think it's not been a particularly well handled Mm -hmm. uh, situation, you know, doesn't particularly reflect well. Um, but do you see enough in terms of what Arteta has brought to the team? There are issues. Obviously, you lose to Villa towards the end of the season. You lose to Brighton. There are a lot of draws. But one of the issues that Arsenal have had are results in big games against big teams. And towards and the end of the season, they started producing. Yeah, obviously, yeah. to beat City in the semi semifinal. Um, a really hilarious win over Liverpool, which I think highlighted your point earlier on about how, you know, they pretty much switched off once they'd won the league. Mm. The goal, the goals that they, they gave away that night wouldn't have been given away previously. But, you know, he beat City, beat Chelsea in the final, beat Liverpool again. I know the Community Shield is glorified friendly, but, you know, you mm. could see on the day that both teams wanted to win it and both yeah. managers wanted to win it. So, you know, that's an encouraging sign, I think. Um, yeah, no, I mean, because that hadn't, hadn't happened for years. I mean, did, did Emery win any of those games? Did Emery beat anybody? Did he? Tottenham. Beat Tottenham. Yeah, but Tottenham is. Yeah. It's about, you know, can they beat City? Can they beat Liverpool? Certainly didn't beat City. Chelsea. Like, yeah, I mean, on Arteta, I mean, the Man United game was one of his first games, right? The beating them. Um, back yeah, it was. Jan- yeah, I think it was the second game. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so well, so he's obviously been able to, to. I mean, that, that that's huge. Like you know, it's huge. It's, it means that the the question, it's like, it's not. It's not the the question isn't. You know, is this manager capable of of leading the team and getting big performances in big games? It's can the manager get the team that's going to be able to perform consistently and I think it's easier to get to get that second part if you have the first than it is to get the first if you have the second you know what I mean yeah, like yeah. Um, um, so yeah there is that. I mean the, the question is like what 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 can he really do with this squad it's such a weird squad that Arsenal have at the moment like you know there's is Louise still in the first team probably I mean he, Louise was 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 brilliant in a couple of those matches that we were talking about when they, when they you know when they beat City for instance. Yeah, he's he really was good, great. But um, you know, uh, but he's but like you, you've got a situation where he's probably still a first team defender, and you know that he can make he's, he can make plenty of mistakes. I'm not quite sure who the goalkeeper now is with Arsenal. Is it Leno? Is it Martinez? We'll find out Saturday. I think it's going to be Leno. Yeah, Martinelli was looking brilliant, and now he's out for like. Yeah, he's out until New Year. 
yeah, I mean, that, they didn't need that. Uh, the Aubameyang and Lacazette still basically playing the same position, but really you should sell Lacazette and get someone else, but mm. can't. You know, Saka is really good, but I'm still... Don't know what he is really. What kind of player is he? Is he winger? Is he is he a mid- central midfielder? Don't quite know yet. So yeah. okay, but he's he's definitely a good thing about the team. But again, it's like yeah, he could he could take many different forms. Um, to the fullbacks are good, but is Bellerin going to leave? Mm. Um, yeah, it's quite important. I would say to hang on to him. I would have said so I mean Maitland-Niles is, is very good as well and has mm. taken a real step forward but I, I think if you are really trying to make progress I mean if it were me I'd just flip Cedric yeah and just keep Ballerin well, who's going to sign Cedric like, well that's yeah no one's going to pay money for Cedric surely I mean Cedric has signed a free transfer which surely means his wages are very good now mm-hmm. so like <laughs> mm. <laughs> Well, thank you for that, Raul. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, like, again, so who, you know, who is it? Is, is Schalke still, like, the sort of base midfielder in the yeah. team? Like, that's just, I just feel as though Schalke, and I know Schalke's sort of in that zone where he's like, he's like the unfairly maligned Schalke, but I still think he's just not good enough for a team. Like, if you if you say, what do Arsenal want to achieve? The first thing that they want to do is, is get back into the Champions League, yeah. right? You know, that's... They, they kind of have to do that if they want to take the next step towards being a title-contending team. Yeah. And I just don't see a team based around Granit Xhaka's, you know, Granit Xhaka in midfield being ever ever being able to do that mm. in, this, in the Premier League as it is now. Like, he's just, he's slow, he's like stiff, he's kind of, he, he's a red card risk at all times. Um... <laughs> Like, it's kind of amazing to me that he's still like after after the, the, after everything that's happened. The weird thing is, and I think you're right. It does sort of reflect on the midfield options. Um, and I think you're you're right to say that he is in some ways unfairly maligned. Hmm. But it's a weird situation where he is basically the most everybody important midfielder at the club. Mm. You know, in terms of what he brings to the team with structure and experience and leadership and all those things which are valuable and I you know, I think he's done well under Arteta and I think the sort of redemption that he had, you know, after the situation that he found himself in because of everything that had gone on before that, the way he reacted is is to his huge credit. But mm. ultimately, I think he is a player who is who is limited. Mm. Um and, I, you know, I don't have any kind of a problem with him, but I think there's a sort of a, a correlation between, um, and I know there are many more factors in this, but his arrival and Arsenal's sort of gradual slipping away from the top four place. I know there's a lot more to it than that, but he's not the midfielder who who sort of kept Arsenal in that hunt or in that sort of fight for top four. You know, and I, I like him. I do like him, but I can see how he's a player that needs to be improved. I just think he doesn't give enough. Like, um, if you look at... I mean, obviously, he's not comparable anyway to somebody like De Bruyne. I mean, he's he kind of plays more as a base midfielder. Like, Fabinho or somebody like that would be his equivalent in the Liverpool team. Mm. And, like, there's not really any comparison. Like for the thing that Chaka obviously does well is... Um, his long crossfield passes that's one of the things he can do you know he's got like a good left foot like he can pass he can pass the ball over medium and long distances really well but like everyone can do that 
you know, Fabinho can do that, but like is way more mobile, is way better at putting pressure on um, on, on opponents. You know, can like combine better with opponents. I think with short pass, like Shaka just doesn't do that. And when he does try to, when he in the defensive side, he's always giving away stupid fouls, gives away penalties. It's just like I can't believe that he's. How's he got away with it this long? Like, I, I, sorry, I'm I'm attacking him now. Probably unfairly, it's not his fault. Like he's not good enough. But like, as long as he's, as long as you're still trying to get there with with him sort mm-hmm. of carrying you there, like it's going to be a long road. Like I mean, I don't know, Mikel Arteta. Um, I think Mikel Arteta is a better coach than Arsenal have had for for a long time now. But usually, a coach when they come in um, to a club the size of Arsenal, they have got a little bit more. Like it's the the circumstances are against him. Like uh, it seems like a lot of the job until now has been about clearing up a mess, not a mess in the team, but actually at the club mm. ab- above the level of the manager and. Uh, Usually a manager is able to... Like when, when Wenger arrived, obviously, they were like, OK, you know, we, we signed Vieira, we signed Petit, you know, we they you usually get to bring in a few players at that point. The club is like, OK, we're going to go for this. And at this point, he's coming at this weird uh, point where, oh, no, we haven't got any money. we Or we do have money, but we don't know if we're going to have money tomorrow, so we can't spend any money today. So, yeah. you know, so it's we get to see a real <laughs> demonstration of his coaching ability, you know? Uh, Guendouzi has felt the the lash of the, of discipline, and now he'll get to feel the soothing rain of rehabilitation. Okay, well we'll we'll see what happens. The one uh, final thing I just wanted to ask you about was the because I, I noticed that Spain um, kept the five subs rule, yeah, and the Premier League didn't. Yeah, given the weird situation the players are in physically because of the lockdown, because of playing so many times, because of a really truncated preseason. Now they're coming back into it. They're playing internationals. There's still the League Cup to play this season. There's European competitions. There's, you know, international breaks again, the Premier League, all within this condensed calendar. Mm. Do you feel like that's a bit of a mistake? Yes, it is a mistake. And I don't like the five subs. Like, I wish... I I don't like it because it's it just seems you get to a point there's too many changes you know like an international friendly or something like this where the game starts to it's like what is going on in this game anymore it's changing there's the you know half the players in it have changed um, so I don't like it but the fact is we're we're in, we're in this situation with this this is going to be the most insanely compressed calendar that there's ever been you know I mean all of these stupid internationals are going to be. Uh, uh, crushed. I mean, I said, oh, stupid internationals this is kind of a stupid thing for me to say. Really, these things are happening because the national federations, like the clubs, need to play matches to get their money, which they're mm. which they need to fund all their operations. I mean, it's fine to say, oh yeah, we won't play any of them, and then like all of the FAs around Europe are just going bust, you know, and uh, laying everyone off and blah blah blah. Um, which obviously is no good. So everyone's trying to get their their games done. You know, Euro twenty twenty one at the end of the season or whatever. Um, Champions League fitted in somehow. Uh, just games, games. You know, like it's it's crazy. Mm. The fact that they and and then they're they're competing leagues. You know, if, they, if their teams are going to be playing in Europe, the German teams. Are just, I think the Bundesliga is the same. Also, five subs. Um, the Spanish teams will have you know five. It just. It just seems stupid to have done that for this season. They should have, yeah. in my opinion, said, okay, this season is still 
going to be a really weird season. You know, we've got like uh, obviously all the stuff with the calendar. Who knows what else could go wrong? And with that in mind, let's just keep that rule. I mean, I don't know if they can change it. I mean, I assume they can because they did in the season just gone. You know what I mean? You know, yeah. The season just gone, like started out with three substitutes, ended up with five. There is obviously a priest in for it. If they decide at some point, actually, that was a mistake, they could probably reverse it. But I don't even know why they've created that condition for themselves. Yeah. It just strikes me that if there is, uh, you know, I, I, I get the argument that it's slightly advantageous for bigger clubs because mm. they can bring on more um, big players or better players but it's also a bit of an equaliser for, for the so-called smaller clubs when they're playing each other mm. to be able to, to manage their squads better and if there's any consideration given to player safety and player welfare um, you know I, I think we're going to see a lot of injuries if players are playing with the kind of frequency that it looks like they will be yeah. um, you know you're going to see not just two three week injuries I mean look what happened to Mustafi at the end of the season he played a lot and he ripped his hamstring off the bone oh. just going along you know so it, it feels inevitable that there are going to be more players uh, afflicted by this and I don't really understand why it was voted down either so yeah I mean I guess the, the, that argument that it was favouring uh, the bigger clubs must have sort of won the day and I guess I can see how that is the case or that is that that is also what I think um, but mm. I think the benefits that it would have had to everybody in the particular circumstances of this season were worth that trade-off. You know, I don't. It's not. It's by no means certain that it definitely is. I mean, if you, if you looked at like the the table of like which clubs made the most substitutes, you know, everyone can make five now. Mm. Who did it the most? I think the top two in that table were Brighton and Liverpool. So you've got two very different clubs, like you know, in terms of their quality or profile you know yeah. uh, Liverpool are obviously the, the ones people would say are the bigger club or have the better side now there's also the, there's the confounding factor that this is from the J- June and July period when they've already won the league and Klopp is like trying you know he, he wants to play Minamino or he wants to give Curtis Jones a game you know he's kind yeah. of maybe he wouldn't use that many um if it was kind of real competitive football who knows but the point was that if you looked at it um it was by no means all just the big clubs who were using. I forget. I forget the rest of the order of the table. Um, but it was by no means just big clubs who were using all the substitutes. There was. It, it seemed to me to have more to do with the mentality of the manager at the club. Mm. Like, is this manager the kind of manager who's like, oh, you know, like someone like Klopp or I guess Graham Potter, thinking about, mm, you know, the, the number of the minutes in, in his legs, thinking about the the risk of injury. You know the probability of injuries going up with every minute these guys are out there. You know I've got to I've got to address that, or are they just kind yeah. of go on, lads, get out there, and you know. Was there the opportunity maybe to do something whereby you know if you wanted to make five subs, two of those subs had to be under twenty three players or you know academy players, something like that. Mm. You know to put that that kind of condition in there so you could still use it, but it also then provides a bit of opportunity to. Uh, younger players at clubs. Well, they're usually suckers for for that, right? Mm. Certainly the national team stuff. Probably the national team England players. That would have been illegal still under... Well, would it have been illegal? <laughs> can they can they do that now? Oh, no, no. You can do all kinds of things. Once it's only a little bit illegal or yeah. slightly illegal, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Illegal in specific and limited ways. Yeah, very limited. Like, I'm only stealing your watch, but I'm leaving you with your phone. Yeah, so, you know, in a, in a way... 
oh, for now, uh, it's worked out pretty well for you. All right. Well, look, thanks a million as always, Ken. Good to see you. Um, keep up the great work with second captains, and uh, we'll catch up with you again at some point during the season. Thanks very much, Andrew. Great to see you as well. Thank you very much indeed to Ken. You can find him on Twitter at Ken Earlies, at Ken Earlies, and of course, he's part of the second captains crew, who you can find at secondcaptains.com and on Twitter at Second Captains, making brilliant sports podcasts as always. Don't forget, this is the first or the second of two podcasts that we have out today, depending on which one you've listened to first. There is another one. You might have listened to them both by now, in which case this message is redundant. But if this is the first one, there is another season preview podcast with Amy Lawrence, Charles Watts from Goal, James, Tim Stillman, Lewis Ambrose, and lots more previewing the season, asking some of the big questions that need to be asked. We'll get their opinions on those. So do check your Arsecast feed. The new season begins on Saturday. Arsenal versus Fulham or Fulham versus Arsenal. Let's hope we kick it off with a win with three points. But of course, James and I will be here on Monday to discuss whatever happens at Craven Cottage. Fingers crossed it's good stuff and we will talk to you then. Until then, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.